Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. brand new series today called Living in the Zone. And uh, we're, we're going to be talking about so many different things throughout the series. In fact, I, I've not done a series and carried it on the first Wednesday, but I feel like this week uh, we're going to add first Wednesday into the series. So it'll be like a five-part uh, series this month that I know that the Lord is just really going to speak to us about living in the zone. We're going to be talking about things like what is the zone, how to get in the zone, uh, the anointing of God, consecration, living in excellence, what that really means, and embracing the time of living in the zone. But today, we're going to be talking about knowing the times and seasons. And how does that work with us as the people of God? How does that work uh, in the kingdom? What does that look like for you and I? And knowing the times and seasons that we live in, God does not want it to be a time that we don't know what He's doing. In fact, God's always had a people that he's told them exactly what's going on, and he wants us to know that, but just not know it, but he wants us to speak it as as well of what to do. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8 and 5, a wise man's mind will know both when and what to do. Have you been around people before that? They just don't know what to do, but they know the exact right time to do it. Some people know what to do, but they pick the wrong time to do it in. I mean, it's like good thought, but it just didn't work out. And and we see it in the natural, but you realize spiritually, God wants us to open up our spiritual eyes and know what to do and when to do it. He wants us to have that type of knowing. We're living in probably the most chaotic time in my 40 years of living on the earth. And a lot of people have lived a lot longer than me, double my time, and maybe even more than double, so they've never seen a time so chaotic on the earth. And you have to understand when there's so much confusion upon the earth that God is not the author of confusion. That in fact we find that Satan is the author of confusion. That God is a God of order. That God is not a God of chaos. But he has a, a plan and he's a God of order. And you've heard us talk about how spiritual warfare is definitely heightened in this time. And that's one way we know that that it's heightened is so much confusion in the earth. That in one moment people will will say this and the next moment they'll say something the opposite of what they just said. And the reason why the Bible lets us know that a double-minded man's unstable in all their ways, our world is not stable. And we see so many unstable things taking place in the world. So what is God speaking in that? In the midst of all this chaos, what does this time mean for you and I? The church is living in a day where many people don't know what God's doing. It's possible to go to church every Sunday and really not know what God's speaking and what he is doing. You may be asking, why is the times important for me as a Christian to walk in? And you may even say, I'm comfortable in my walk, but what's these seasons all about? And let me begin to say that I, I cannot place enough emphasis on us understanding the times and seasons. In fact, we see this throughout Scripture where the people of God did not know. Even in Luke 19, when Jesus was coming through Jerusalem, they was all praising him, saying, Hosanna, save us now, which Hosanna is what it means, save us. And they were saying, Hosanna the highest. And in other words, our Savior's here, save us. And they was declaring him as the king. And they was putting palm branches out in front of him as they would for a king. 
But after all the crowd was doing all this praising, Jesus knew, and then just a week from that moment that the same people were saying, Hosanna, save us, and declaring Him as the King and the Deliverer that would be saying, crucify Him. But Jesus gets away from the crowd. He oversees Jerusalem right after coming through, riding on a donkey, people shouting praises unto Him, looks over the city, and He begins to weep. And we're like, why would he weep over the city? Because the Bible says that Jesus said they do not understand their season or the time that it is. And we have to understand that it's possible that we can fail to understand the times. That our mind can be so much upon the chaos that's around us that we don't understand really what God's even speaking in the moment. Let it never be said that God's not, God has not ordained that he would visit every one of us with a fresh anointing of revelation because he does. God has set up a visitation for us all. In fact, just not a visitation, but God wants to habitate with his anointing among us. And the anointing is the presence of Jesus, and that revelation is Jesus himself. It's of him. The anointing is the presence of God. It is God's special touch upon the individual with the presence of Christ that is the revelation that God has called us to walk in of Jesus Christ himself. See, Israel had longed for a deliverer. So Luke 19 starts to make a lot of sense because the people, they was looking for a deliverer, but they thought it would look a whole lot different than what Jesus looked. They was looking for a deliverer, but they thought he would already show up with a king's robe on and that he would set up his kingdom right then and there, save them, and they would reign and rule with the Savior, God's Son, the Christ, for the rest of their life. But not realizing also that they thought instantly they'd be saved from the Roman government, but it wasn't happening. In fact, Jesus came to die so that all humanity would be saved from their sins, and they did not know the time. They did not know that the deliverer was there. He was right in front of them. Many of them were saying, Hosanna, save us now, but yet still yet not understand the time. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The Scripture says the fullness of time had come. Now, did the Jews not recognize, they did not recognize that their time had come. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul was writing there that then because he said the fullness of time that they did not even know that it was there. But he said the fullness of time came when the Son of God was born of a woman. They lacked the understanding of the Messiah. And we see the words time and seasons all throughout Scripture. Time signifies duration. Seasons signify the characteristics of that time of duration. And seasons is a regular fixed period of time. And time, we know, involves measurements and God set forth time. But there's also special times in God. There's certain times that God appoints to be more special than others in time. I believe we have one of those moments on us in the earth. There wouldn't be so much chaotic and confusion in the earth if God didn't have such a special time in the earth. In this moment. There wouldn't be such a height of spiritual warfare because the enemy knows the time. So the warfare just increases. It heightens more chaos than we've ever seen before. 
And the book of Ecclesiastes confirmed how God speaks to us about an appointed time, ordained time, seasons, hours, even days to accomplish the purposes of God. Galatians 1 and 14, or I mean Genesis 1 and 14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in, in the expanse of the heavens and to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. All of them meaning something just a little bit different that yes, there's time. But within time, there's special days or years or even seasons that God has appointed for us. God's purpose that time for His people. And we should know the different times and have understanding. In Scripture, we read about in the Greek that when time's mentioned several times in Scripture, that we see that it actually is the Greek word kairos. Kairos is a Greek word in the New Testament that means the appointed time and the purpose of God. You'll find in the New Testament there's seasons mentioned and time mentioned, but this one here is a little bit special. It's a special appointed moment of time that God has set apart in the earth. That's where we're at. That we should have the wisdom according to our text today, according to Ecclesiastes, to know, not only know, but what should we do with the knowing that we have. And then the book of James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. So there's never should be an excuse that we lack wisdom in the moment we're living because even if it's spiritual wisdom, if it's natural wisdom, that God speaks to us about that, that we should not have a wavering that we should be able to ask, and God will show us even what the Kairos moment of time means. I be don't believe this is a moment that's accidental or coincidental that we're in. That in fact, that where we're living and where we're at now is the proper time of God. It's the kairos. And whether there are re uh, elections that we're up on now, or changes of leaders, or same leaders, or pestilences, or even COVID, such as COVID, riots, racial injustices, uh, confusion, moral decay, I've come to the conclusion, my, my trust is never in government, it's never in vaccines, it's never in someone else trying to bail me out but did not God send his very best to die up on the cross for you and I and he rose again on the third day and he reigns and rules at the right hand of the father now that God sent his best he took our sin our iniquity our guilt he went to the cross and he overcame it all with that being said I can't help but think of Romans 8 it says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor light, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, it doesn't matter what, about the elections. It doesn't matter about the pestilences in the earth. It doesn't matter about the distress or the tribulation or the persecution or the famine. Our eyes should not be upon those things, but our eyes should be upon God that through it all that He's yet the provider in the midst of tribulation and trial. That He can bring out water in the deserted places, in the desert places. He can spring forth water to you and I. That He can supply when it looks like nothing else can supply. That if He can feed the man of God with a 
raven and, and give him a brook to get water from in Scripture, God can do the same for you and I, that he's still the provider today. No matter what comes our way, our focus is to be seeking God, his kingdom, and everything we have need of. He said he would give it. That's where our focus is. So what will we know what to do and when to do it in this season? We find in, in Scripture that David had these hundreds of thousands of people that came to help him to regain Israel as a nation. They had all these different expertise, and they came from different groups of people. They had, some of them was expertise with bows. Some other ones were just really good at this or that. Whatever it was, they was ready for war. Some of them was just mighty warriors. No matter what, they was just ready to go to war. Some of them just knew the land. But then he had 200 of them that knew something else. They had an understanding of their day. And 1 Chronicles 12, and like the first 30-some verses, talks about all these men. But out of it, to me, the sons of Issachar stick out. It says, of Issachar, men who had the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Out of several, several hundred thousand men, 200 of them only knew the signs of the time. Only knew what to do in the season that they were living in. I still believe that God has a calling out among amongst the world of a remnant of that knows what to do, who to look to. Jeremiah 23 and 3 says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Not everyone that says they're the church is the church. See, the enemy's smart. He knows how to put tares among the wheat. He knows how to put wolves among the sheep. There's a lot that people that says they're part of the church that stand up for, but it's totally in Scripture that is total moral decay. Very immoral. But they say, yes, we're the church. We serve the same. Jesus is them. There's so many planted, and all it does is cause confusion. And some of the church just need renewal. They need repentance. They need a turning of God. I believe the sons of Issachar is what I would call a prophetic people. Not, not prophets, but a prophetic people. They were people who were ordained, a Kairos time, a special point of time, raised up to do something special in the earth, to know what Israel ought to do. God has people in the kingdom that He's raising up on knowing what to do in the season we're living in. Just like the Apostle Paul, before he became Paul, we know that he was this man by the name of Saul, but a guy that was prophetic in his life, appointed in a time to touch the life of the Apostle Paul. We know that he went blind. He received Christ in his life. He goes to Ananias. Ananias is that prophetic guy, the Kairos guy in time in Scripture, laid hands on him. His blinded eyes are open, but not only that, he's filled with the Spirit of God, and revelation knowledge comes up on the Apostle Paul, and he writes over half of the New Testament. God has direct for you and I. It's the anointing of God that is blowing up on the church today that we need for the special happenings taking place, but God's going to let us know how and when to do it. See, the prophetic 
doesn't mean prophesying. Thus says the Lord, having a word for everybody. But the prophetic is, is that God's like, I got my hand upon them, that everywhere they go, there's going to be blessing. Everywhere they go, they're going to know what to do. No matter the circumstance that comes upon them, they're going to know how to respond and when to respond because they are my people hearing my voice. The prophetic calling describes a people that understand the times and the season with an immediate present response because they know how to hear from God. God's calling us in that time. He's calling us to know the season. He's calling us to know how to move in this season. Well, think about it. You don't go snow skiing in the summer. I mean, it's cool. You may know how to do it, but that's not the time you do it. You don't go swimming when it's Arctic outside. Just because you know how to swim don't mean it's the time that you swim. A lot of times... We know what to do, but not when to do it. You can do the very right thing in the wrong moment. God's going to let his people know even now, today, of people that are listening to him, of when, with their what. Let's talk about this, a time of preparation. God's calling a prophetic people that know what to do in the time they're living. Now, I want to go to a very familiar portion of Scripture in Romans 12, but I'm going to use this probably in a different way than I've used it in times past, but I'm going to come to you with the English Standard Version. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, he said that you need to be able to offer your whole life, your whole being on the altar. That you need to say, God, here am I. Here's everything that I have. I'm laying it before you. See, we're really good at giving God 90%. But then keeping back the things that's really passionate to us and dear and close to our heart and not laying it all down. You're like, well, what are those things that maybe I'm not laying down? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals that to you. And you just lay down everything before him and say, God, I'm tired of it. I want to not only know what to do, but I want to know when to do it. So he said for us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and separable of God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship's just not at church. Worship is giving your whole life and saying, God, I offer it to you, and I give it to you. Do what you can or what you will through me. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, because we give our entire life to God. First of all, it's not our life. When we give our heart to God, that the Bible says we're no longer our own, but we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. So it's really God's life. But we lay it down and say, God, do what you can. Do what you will. Work through me however you want. Because it's all I want. Besides us picking up and trying to take control and putting our hands on it. And me, I, I like to be a fixer on things. I just like to instantly get it done and fixed. And, and you can't do that with your spiritual life. That There's times that God wants to just put his hand on it. And you can try to manifest something in the natural. But God said, no, no, no. It's not time for you to do that in the natural. But let me have it and let me work through you. Because what I've got is so much better than what you can do with your hands. 
And then we want to know what the will of God is and the acceptable and good will of God. We want to know what that perfect place in the kingdom of God is for us. But to do that, we must lay down our line, which is just our reasonable service. That's what it says in the New King James Version, is that when we do this, it's only our reasonable service to give our life and holy unto God. See, God's looking for us to present our lives unto Him on the altar. In the Old Testament, they would have four horns of the altar and they would tie an animal to it and they would sacrifice the animal. God says, you know, I'm wanting you yourself to lay on the altar. I'm not going to tie you to it. I'm not going to push you down and hold you there. But God says, I, I, I just want you to lay down your life on that altar freely. See, those things that God sees in our lives, the closest things to us are the things that we need to sometimes lay down. What, what's the things that's, that you're so passionate about in life that possibly could deter you from 100% giving to God? I mean, there's times in my life I'm 100%, and there's times in my life I feel like I'm 85, and I know that. And maybe I'm 70 on a day. But then there's times that I know I'm holy giving it all to God. When I do, that's when I'm at my best in God, when I'm hearing Him with clarity. And sometimes we don't even realize that those passions that are so close to us sometimes deter us just in a moment. But God said, I'm looking for people that's going to give it all to me. We have had it over the last couple of weeks, I believe it was two, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before, we had hundreds of thousands of people at our nation's uh, capital in Washington just saying, God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive our nation. I mean, they just repenting over even abortions they had nothing to do with. Forgive us of those, God. Of our immoral uh, acts, God, in our nation, forgive us. Definitely, God, if your people, which are called by your name, will humble themselves and pray that type of prayer. That if the people of God will turn away from the 15, they're hanging on and give a hundred, turning from our wicked ways. He said, then we will hear from heaven and he will begin to heal our land. So I'm talking about that kind of sacrifice. Sometimes it's not that it's wholly wicked in our life. It's just that God doesn't have all of our life. So turning from the things that are dear or close or passionate, which give way to us stumbling at times, but God wants us to even bring those on the altar. In other words, words there are many Isaacs we need to bring to the altar. I've had Isaacs I've got to bring to the altar, things I've been passionate about that really I did not need to have my hands on, that I needed to lay down. The place of preparation is the altar, and God wants to prepare our lives by us laying our lives on the altar again. See, Jesus' ministry in the world did not start until he reached the age of 30, and we know that he even went through a time of preparation in the wilderness where he was tempted but overcame all of them. Even the disciples, they went through a time where they, they had received the anointing, the power of God. They went through preparation, and then on the day of Pentecost, they re received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and they began to do ministry. We have moments in God where he wants to show us the finished product, and he does show us just glimpses just so we'll keep pushing to the finished thing that he's called us to. See, God works through trials, wildernesses, uh, desert places. He did it all through Scripture. It was Moses that left for 40 years out of Egypt. He ran out of Egypt. And it was through the wilderness time that he had that God prepared him. 
We see that with David when he was running from Saul. Saul kept trying to kill him. But David kept on running and kept staying true to God. Would not, even though he had a chance to kill Saul, he wouldn't because it was not the character of God to do so. So he'd done what was right, even the hardest moments of his life. And he'd done right and he offered his life to God. It was times of preparation for him to be king. Even Abraham had to leave a totally comfortable place called Ur, where everything was fruitful and fine. And to go to a desert where there should not be anything fruitful, nothing should be able to live or thrive in a desert, but because God was on his side and because he gave his whole life to God, God made him fruitful in a desert place. We see it with Joseph being sold into slavery. Went through years of this in order to just be raised up to be second in charge, not only to save his family, but he saved nations. Jesus had his time in the wilderness. Even the disciples, after Jesus died and rose again, they went back to fishing. They're like, what else are we going to do? Let's go back to our comfortable. The Holy Spirit's not came back yet. And then Jesus had to show up to them. And he begins to talk to them like, you, you guys, I've called you all to fish for men. I didn't call you to be fishermen of fish. But in their uncomfortable, they went back to comfort. He said, I've got to get them back to being uncomfortable of giving me everything. You know, we see times in Scripture where the voice of God was rare. And one in particular that I want to bring out to you today, you might have seen it before. I haven't ministered from this, gosh, years. First Samuel 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli was the head priest. Samuel was just beginning his priesthood. And it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. In other words, God's not speaking a lot. And it says there's no frequent vision. That meaning just not vision. They would have no foresight, but it meant God's voice. That there was no frequent revelation. God was not revealing himself much to people. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Now, Eli, he allowed his sons to... to fornicate in the temple and do all kinds of sins and he allowed these things and he wasn't hearing from God here he is supposed to be the the priest he wasn't hearing from the Lord but there's a young man by the name of Samuel and we know the story of Samuel Samuel was not even I mean his mom was barren was supposed to have a kid but she prayed and asked God to give her a kid and God gave her a kid and she not only dedicated him to the Lord but she gave him as a life to the priesthood so he was raised up under Eli, and we find that when the voice of God was not being heard, that there's hardly any revelation in the land. Eli was not seeing spiritually, and he was not seeing physically. His eyes was growing dim. The Bible showed us two sides to just that, that his spiritual eyes was growing dimly, and so was his natural eyes. He was not seeing things, and when we see that, Samuel was ministering to the Lord, that would be the same as you and I saying, I'm seeking the face of God. That's exactly what that would mean in today's language. By him ministering to the Lord, in the moment that he was ministering unto the Lord, it'd be like me and you saying, right now, I'm just going to go have me and some Jesus time, time in the presence of God, and I'm going to seek his face in this moment. See, the time of preparation is a place of change, and God was preparing Samuel. In fact, God was he is speaking to Samuel in, in this moment. He had to go tell Eli, did you call me? Did you call me? Eli says, no, I didn't. After the third time, Eli says, son, I believe the Lord is speaking to you. Eli wasn't even hearing the Lord, but he said, I believe the Lord is speaking to you. And of course, the rest is history that 
Samuel was raised up as a prophet in the land, that when he would come into places, the Bible says that none of the words he ever spoke ever fell to the ground because he always carried the word of the Lord because he knew how to minister to the Lord and seek the face of God. He always knew his time and seasons. That when he would come, many would be fearful. What is he going to say? Because we know he's hearing from God. They'll come to the music today. God prepared Samuel. God's prepared us. Not only has God prepared us, but God's wanting to speak through us. And God's wanting us to know not only the time, but God wants us to know what to do in the time we're living. I got another scripture I want to read to you. Hosea 12. Verses 3 and 4 says, Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with an angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face, and God spoke to him. Now, we all know the story of Jacob out Genesis 32, that he literally wrestled with the angel of the Lord, which was Christ. He wrestled with Christ. The Bible even tells us, Hosea talks about him, says he fought with his brother, he struggled with his brother. But Jacob just didn't struggle, he struggled with everybody. He struggled with everybody around him. He struggled with God, he fought with God. But one night he wrestled with him all night long, and he won. But he didn't win until he laid it all down. He didn't win until he laid down his whole being to God. He didn't win until he's like, God, this is your life. Jacob struggled in his life. His name actually means deceiver, manipulator, supplanter. All he done was manipulate for everything he got. He manifested things just from his hands, though God would speak to him. You know, he, God always, God came to a point, I believe God had the 90 of Jacob, but it took him wrestling all night to give him the 100. Because God would show up in places like Bethlehem and, and help him and give him a word over his life and let him know there's promise over his life. But in the moment that he was wrestling with God on this night, God told him, he said, let go of me. He said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. In other words, he's saying, God, I, I'm laying down everything I got. And Lord, I need something changed in my life. God, I gave you the 85, 90 a long time. You spoke to my life. You led me around. But God, there's something different that I know that I can attain in you. And he said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And God said, okay, that's fine. He said, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. In other words, he said, I'm a deceiver. When he answered that, he said, I'm a manipulator. I don't have it all together. I'm just human God. Struggling with what humans struggle with. God said, no longer are you Jacob, but now you're Israel. Which shows us it was through Jacob that God would birth a nation today known as Israel. All because he didn't hang on just to the 85 or the 15 and give God the 85. But he said, God, I'm going to lay down everything I have. And when we lay down our everything to God, the blessing that he brings in our life is extraordinary. 
It's out of this world and incredible what He can do in our life. See, this time of preparation was a time of dislocation. See, dislocation is not fun. I, I dislocated his shoulder seven times. Not one of them was fun. It's painful. It makes you pay attention more to it. That day when Jacob had a change, the Bible says that God dislocated his hip. That from that day forward, he limped in the natural, but it represented that no longer was he Jacob, but he's Israel. It represented that he fully was leaning on God every step that he took. That, you know, I can live by God having the 90 or I can live with God having the 100. And Jacob said, that life cost me dislocation. God was taking some things out and putting some things in Jacob. And out of this moment of dislocation is where God changed his name. And Israel, as we know, is a prophetic nation. Just as Jacob was a prophetic individual. Can I tell you that we're no different than a Jacob, than a Moses, than a David, than the Apostle Paul, than the Ananias. We're no different that we are a prophetic people in a prophetic day living in the most chaotic time that any of us has ever lived in, but yet it's prophetic, it's God-ordained, it's a kairos moment that God has set aside something special, and God's not said, well, I'm putting you here with not knowing what to do or how to respond. God said, I'm telling you exactly what to do, and I'm telling you exactly when to do it. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.